Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and welcome to you today. I'm so delighted that you joined in. I'd like to begin a short series today entitled The Beauty of Grace. And I want us to take a bit of a dive into understanding grace more thoroughly from the Word of God, because it is a beautiful and amazing thing that many are cheapening today. But I don't want us to cheapen it. I want us to see the actual beauty of what God has granted to us, and I want us to build the foundation for it. So in this first lesson, I'd like for us to consider the cause for grace the cause for grace. And so I'd like to build this from the scripture so that you understand step by step what grace is all about. So to understand that, let's begin at the beginning, or let's begin actually before the beginning. God was pre-existent in eternity for all time. Psalm Chapter 90, verse 2 says this, and this is a psalm that Moses wrote, and he says this in verse 2 of Psalm chapter 90. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. From everlasting to everlasting, God has always existed, and he has existed as the same always. In other words, there's no changing and no variation with the God of the Bible. He is the God who was, who is, and who is to come. He is the God that has revealed himself as such, both in the ministry of Isaiah, we see that in Isaiah chapter 6, and with John the Revelator, in the book of Revelation. God is the one who was, who is, and who is to come. Unchanging in his character, unchanging in his nature, he is. He is now what he was always. He is now what he always will be. He was then who he is now and who he will be, and he will be who he always was, and who he is now. He's the God who was, who is, and who is to come. He revealed himself, he revealed himself to us by giving his own name. Now, his name represents his character, his essence, his nature. And he defined his name when he revealed himself to Moses in Exodus chapter 34. And I want us to read verses 6 and 7, because this defines for us who God is. He defined his own name, representing his character, his nature, who he really is. Verse 6 and 7 of Exodus 34 says this, And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, 
merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. God has revealed himself, his own very name, his character, his nature, that always has been and always will be. And in a time in eternity past, at some point, there was a divine decision made. There was a divine, I believe, dream that God had. We're told in the scriptures that before the foundation of the world, the lamb was slain. We'll talk about that more in a later time. But there was a divine decision because there was a divine dream. That dream that God had for relationship with people by the fact that he was pre-existent at all times, he has always existed. He also is pre-knowing. In other words, he knows all things for all time. He knew, he knew the end from the beginning. So he knew what this divine dream for relationship with people and this decision would entail. He knew what it meant and he knew what it would cost him to bring it to pass. In Isaiah chapter 46, verse 10, it tells us that he knew the end from the beginning. Before ever he first even created the first planet or the earth or the heavens, he already knew. And yet he longed for a relationship with people. He wanted people to know him and to love him because they chose to. So to accomplish this desire, he created the universe and the world. And all of that is recorded for us in Genesis chapters one and two. He created the universe, he created the world, he created all the planets. In six days, he made everything and crafted a beautiful, perfect habitation for mankind called the earth. And he filled it with blessings because his crown of creation he was going to make at the very end. And that was mankind, a man and a woman. He created people and he blessed this man and this woman. He gave them a glorious garden to live in. He gave them glorious blessings. He gave them glorious task to tend this garden and to work and enjoy their work. He had a glorious relationship with them. The scriptures indicate to us that there was daily fellowship that God had with this man and woman he had made. In the cool of the day, he would come down and he would fellowship with them. Notice the relationship, even to the point that God entrusted Adam with naming the animals. God said, Adam, you name them, and whatever you call them, that will be their name. So Adam is the one who gave the lion his name, who gave the elephant his name, etc. But the problem came in, in Genesis chapter 3, 
Genesis 1 and 2, there's a wonderful, beautiful world. There's a wonderful, beautiful garden. There are wonderful, beautiful blessings. There's a wonderful, beautiful relationship. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 tells us this. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he, meaning this particular serpent, said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Jesus tells us about this serpent. A little bit later, he calls him the thief because he steals. He steals peace. He steals freedom. He steals life from people. As a matter of fact, Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10, that he came only to steal, kill, and destroy. So he comes in the garden. He shows up in the garden. He's been kicked out of heaven by now because he revolted against the Lord God, longing for worship. And God kicked him out of heaven. We can read about that in Isaiah 14 and in Ezekiel chapter 28. And Jesus refers to it as well. I believe it's in Luke chapter 10 when he says, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. So this serpent is not just any snake or reptile or whatever you want to call them, whatever it was in that day, but it was the devil himself. And he challenged God's character. He challenged God's goodness to them in this verse because he says, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? In other words, he was asking them. He was challenging the goodness and character of God by saying, in essence, God's hiding something from you that would be good for you. Is God cheating you out of something really good? What is God keeping away from you? Now, think about this. In the garden, God had placed all kinds of trees. Most any kind of original trees you can ever think of. There were apple trees. There were pear trees. There were, you know, probably banana trees and who knows, coconut trees. There was everything in that garden. All kinds of trees. Nut trees. Fruit trees. Beauty trees. Beautiful trees. There were trees of everything. And God said, all the trees that I've given you that you can eat from, you can eat from any of those except this one of these two special trees. Now, why did God put that tree in the garden in the first place? I believe it was because he wanted relationship with people, but he wanted it because the people chose to love him of their own free will. It's not a forced thing. God could have left that tree out and said, here you go, just eat of anything. And maybe things would have been different and maybe they would have lived for the Lord all of their life. Maybe not. We don't know that. But the revelation of the story tells us that the serpent came, challenged God's goodness and God's character, and they fell for it. They began to look at this tree. Do you see? Satan wants to get your eyes off of all the other blessings God has given you and get you to focus on that one thing 
that's a problem. That one thing that he then will magnify into this great mountainous problem that wasn't so before. So the woman succumbed first, but so did Adam. And God, even in the New Testament, holds Adam responsible. They ate of the forbidden fruit of that one tree. God's desire was relationship with them, but he had to know that they did it because they chose to love and obey him. Now notice this. Before Genesis chapter 3, let's look in Genesis chapter 2 and read verses 15 through 17. Then the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. God had warned them about this tree beforehand. God had warned Adam beforehand, and he held Adam responsible. God had warned them of the end result and the consequence prior to their temptation and their sin. God made it very clear to them. And notice, he says, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. He gave them blessings upon blessings upon blessings. Some have indicated there may have been 2,000 or more trees in that garden or different types of trees in that garden. And they had the ability to freely eat of any of those. But God said, only of this one. And it's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, we don't understand a whole lot about that tree, but it does have the name that indicates that it was the knowledge of good and evil. I personally believe that God never wanted them to experience the pain and the brokenness of knowing evil by disobeying God. And that's why the other trees were good for them. They weren't going to hurt them. They weren't going to bring upon them any adverse effects. But this one would when they bit into knowing evil because evil has an ugly bite at the end. You can't disobey God's commandments. You can't live a life of sin and it not bite you in the end. Somewhere along the line, it's going to ruin your health. It's going to ruin your family. It's going to ruin your job. It's going to take you down because that devil is out for nothing more than to steal, kill, and destroy. And so God knew that this would happen if they ate of it, that it would set in motion and activate the consequences of sin, the death that is associated with sin, the death sentence that is the wages of sin, we are told in Romans chapter 6. And it cannot be reversed. It was a spiritual law. Once this was done, it could not be reversed. Now, man was flawed. There was no perfection within himself to save himself. He couldn't have saved himself in the beginning. He couldn't keep himself from falling for the lie of the devil. 
He had to have now a perfect substitute. It began to activate the need or the cause for grace. It activated the need or the cause for a perfect and sinless substitute. Now the cause or the need for the solution is now made necessary. Mankind was doomed without it, and the cause was now established. I'd like to close us out for this episode by looking at Romans chapter 5, and I want to read verses 12 through 21. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says this, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, for the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This section contrasts the one man's error and sin that now reigns in everyone and brought and activated the consequences or the wages of sin and death, but it also establishes the cause, the need, and hence of the provision of grace. The good news is the story about grace does not end here. There's lots more to come, and it gets gooder and gooder, we could say. God will come through powerfully with his amazing grace. I pray that this has been a blessing to you, and Lord willing, you can join us for more episodes of this grace series. God bless you today in Jesus' name. Amen.